Today's scripture reading is from the book of John, chapter 12, verses 12 to 26. The next day, the, cr- the, next day, the large cloud, crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the word has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went to went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of the wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is the reading of the God's word. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone uh, is doing well, having a blessed Sunday. Uh, let me just start with us with the word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for just your amazing love. And your grace, we thank you that during uh, the season, as we we should always obviously be reflecting upon just the cross of Christ, the death and resurrection of our Savior. But we pray during this season, as we are into Passion Week and approaching Good Friday uh, and Easter Sunday, uh, again we will be even more so, just reminded of how blessed we are, how truly blessed, how truly loved we are, as you look to all that our Savior went through for the sake of his people. And we pray today that as we delve into your word, you will continue to just show us more of who you are, that you'll continue to amaze us with your, with your grace. And we pray that we will respond to your word with worship, with praise, with faith in you, Lord. We pray that you bless this time. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today is Palm Sunday and um, you know, it's kind of like the official beginning of is what we would call Passion Week. And I'm guessing, uh, obviously I haven't been at Sojourner for too long, but I'm guessing over the years Pastor Francis has preached many a Palm Sunday sermons, and so it's probably sound familiar, but uh, this is my first time preaching a Palm Sunday here, and so I decided to do a Palm Sunday sermon, right, to, the, to do the triumphal entry uh, as, we, as we look at our Savior um, on the Sunday, right? So timeline-wise, this would literally be the Sunday before Good Friday and Easter Sunday, which I guess for, just like for us. And so he is entering into Jerusalem, and it's, it's, a, it's a big moment, right? It's a big moment, 
And you know, it's one of those stories where uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right, we, we see it all four Gospels, the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. And you know, in terms of timeline, again, you have to realize Jesus has pretty recently uh, raised Lazarus from the dead. And uh, actually in the book of John, it happened John chapter 11, one chapter before. Now in John chapter 12, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and there's, there's a large crowd, right? If you look at our passage, it says the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, right? The feast is the Passover feast. Obviously, in the Jewish calendar, the Passover is a major part of the Jewish calendar. And so there were already a lot of Jews in Jerusalem, more so than usual because they had already come to Jerusalem to, to celebrate the Passover feast. And so there's people in Jerusalem already, a pretty big crowd. They hear about Jesus, so they're going to come out to meet him, and they bring palm branches, right? And then you have also another group of people that were following Jesus from, you know, where he had risen, you know, raised Lazarus from the dead. So you have all these people converging and we see these people crying out, verse 13, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Right? It's like a big scene. Right? It's hard to imagine what this would have been like. I've seen you know, a couple of movies, obviously, that depict Jesus. And, you, know, you have the people with the palm branches, and you have a whole bunch of people just kind of like you know, shouting, excited. Um, Honestly, I, I think of, when I think of this scene, I think of, you know, maybe a, maybe a sports team that won a championship, right, and everybody's outside in the streets cheering. Um, you know, I was living in Connecticut when UConn would win, like, the championship, and I remember, you know, you'll see it on TV, all these people cheering. Um, I remember one of my memories as a, as a child, actually, uh, for whatever reason is, I think it was 1986, uh, I think I just moved to New York, and I, I think the Mets had won the World Series. And it was just this huge parade, and I saw it on TV, and I was really impressed, so I became a Mets fan. And we never got another one of those parades <laughs> after that, right? But I remember seeing, like, man, it's, like, exciting, all these people out there and cheering, and, you know, and, and I'm picturing that kind of scene, right? People are cheering on Jesus, and they're saying, Hosanna, blesses, you know, is he who comes in the name of the Lord? They're quoting, you know, they're, they're saying Hosanna from, really, Psalm 118, and Jesus... He comes, and people, they don't obviously truly understand who Jesus is. Even it says here in verse 16, even his disciples didn't understand these things. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things have been written about. But as we, as we look at this passage, and as we think about Jesus' triumphal entry, I want to say a few things. I want to say three things, really, in this passage that we just read today. And it would be who Jesus is not, who Jesus is, and our response to Jesus, right? That's really three three things. Who Jesus is not, who Jesus is, and our response to Jesus. And so first thing, who Jesus is not, I think we, we realize in this passage, as exciting as it might seem, the reason that the people, for the most part, are excited is for the wrong reason, right? They're not excited because they understand who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Son of God who has come into the world, right, to, to live, to die for the sake of his people. They don't realize that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem to go to the cross. Actually, what people are thinking right now is they're thinking Jesus is going to be a political hero, right? They're saying Hosanna. The word Hosanna literally means save us, 
right? They're saying, save us. Except over the years, the, re, the way you would use the word Hosanna kind of changed. And so at this point, they're using it almost as praise, right? They're saying salvation now, but they're saying it to mean blessed is he, right? So who comes in the name of the Lord, they're thinking of Jesus as the person who's going to bring salvation to them, right? And that's why they're saying he's even the king of Israel. So what is going on in this passage is this huge crowd, or there's a lot of people in this crowd that is thinking this Jesus is impressive. He does miracles. He heals the sick, right? He does all kinds of things that will be like amazing. But then not only did he do these amazing miracles, he just raised somebody from the dead. Like what greater miracle could there be than to raise somebody from the dead? And a whole bunch of people saw it. And you know, there's no... There's no trickery. There's no fooling anybody. Lazarus was in the grave for a few days. He was starting to rot. And so if you think about it, people are like blown away at this point about who Jesus is or who they think he is and what he's able to do. And so people are starting to think that this Jesus, perhaps he's the Messiah. Perhaps he's the one that's going to overthrow in their minds the Romans. And all the other, right, all the other people who may oppress us, maybe he is the one who's going to deliver us and create a Jewish, free Jewish nation again. And they're excited because they're thinking of Jesus as a conquering hero, a political hero, as a king who will rescue them from Rome and other enemies of, you know, of the Jews. And they're looking at Jesus in a certain light. That's why they have the palm branches. Right? The palm branches were were things that people used when you had a conquering hero, right? when somebody was, you know, coming back from war, and, you know, you, it was an impressive thing, right? So they have the palm branches. They're saying, Hosanna, blesses his heels, comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And so what are they thinking? They're excited because they have their own perspective of who Jesus is. It's not so much that they want Jesus. It's they want someone who would do what they want him to do. But they want somebody who fits into their little image of who Jesus is supposed to be, and they're cheering on, again, not who Jesus truly is, but who they want him to be. That's what, you know, we, that's what we see in this passage. And you might look at this passage, and you might be like, man, these people are foolish, they don't understand, right? But if we're being honest, Let's look at the way we think of God or you know, the way we think of, obviously, Jesus. I think a lot of times we do the same thing, right? We have a picture of who we want Jesus to be in our lives, and we want him to fit that picture, right? It might be something as simple as, I think Jesus just wants me to be happy, right? And so maybe we pray for different things, and we say, Jesus, you have to answer my prayer. Because I know best for my life, and if I pray hard enough, if I pray earnestly enough, Jesus, of course you're going to answer my prayer because your job is to make me happy. Which, again, we don't find that in the Bible anyway. Where in the Bible does it say Jesus has to make me happy by doing what I want him to do? Right? We find joy in Christ, of course, right? as you worship him, as you go in intimacy with him, as you have communion with him. But nowhere in the Bible does it say Jesus has to make me happy on my terms, and yet we may think that way. Right? 
Or we may think, you know, Jesus is, and we can just fill in the blank, right? But a lot of times we make an image of Christ the way we want him to be, and he needs to follow that image. And if not, what do we say? I'm disappointed, right? Jesus has failed me, right? You know, I, you know, I, you know, I, don't, I don't appreciate things, right? I, you know, I, I don't know how I feel about him anymore. And so a lot of times we make our own image of who we want Jesus to be, and we want him to fit that image. And if it doesn't fit, we're not happy, right? We're, we're upset. You know, we feel shook. We feel shaken. And it's a problem because I don't think our job is to make Jesus who we want him to be. Our job is to see who Jesus is and to worship him as he is and to follow him as he is, right? Because you know, if you think about it, we do this with a lot of people, right? I remember, you know, growing up, you know, talk to different people when they're in a, you know, in a new relationship, right, a new romantic relationship, and they'll say things like, oh, this person's amazing, you know, I like this person so much, and then a month or two later, they'll say something like, oh, they're not who I thought he was, right? So-and-so is not who I thought she was. And really, what happened is not so much that the other person changed, I mean, maybe they were trying to impress you for a little bit, right? But what we do is, when you're going to a romantic relationship, we tend to think of this person as who we want them to be, right? We kind of make them an ideal person, and we kind of put a whole bunch of characteristics onto that person that we want them to be, and then when it doesn't happen, we get disappointed. And I think we do that with God, right? We, we, we want our Lord to be something, and we put it there. And when it doesn't work out, we get disappointed. The Jewish people that were cheering on Jesus, they get disappointed. They follow him when they feel like he, he's doing for them what they want, but when he goes to the cross, where are they then? No one seems to be following him, but no one seems to be cheering him on then. Actually, if anything, there's a crowd that is saying crucify him. And we don't know if just these people here are the same people that said crucify him, but maybe some of them were there as well. But what we do know is this. There is nobody cheering Jesus as he goes to the cross. There is nobody defending him you know, in large numbers as he goes to the cross. If anything, there's a crowd of people that seems to be saying, crucify him as he is going to the cross. Why? Because we see a bunch of people who want what they want. They don't know who Jesus is, and I think a lot of times, even for us, we're not thinking about who he is, we just think about who we want him to be. But well, who is Jesus then? Right? He, so who is Jesus not, but who truly is Jesus? And we see in this passage that Jesus is, he's the humble king. He is the humble king, the righteous king, who brings salvation to his people. If you look at our passage, it's interesting, right? As he is coming and people are shouting, verse 14, Jesus finds a young donkey and he sits on it. Now, think about that for a second. He's coming in, people are cheering him on so as some kind of military, political, conquering hero, and so you would think he'd be on like a war horse or maybe on like a really impressive, good-looking horse, right? I, honestly, I think of like Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you remember the scene where Gandalf is coming with the white horse. and It's like, it's like impressive, right? And it's like this, this big moment. You're like, whoa. And you're thinking you know, he would be on this really impressive-looking horse coming in, everybody cheering him on. But instead, he gets a young donkey. It's, it's humble. Right? It's not what you would have expected from Jesus. And then we see in verse 15, a 
quote of the Old Testament, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coal. Now, that's part of a bigger passage in Zechariah chapter 9. I want to read actually the passage a little bit more fully. And this is what the passage in Zechariah 9 says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Right? It says here, behold, your king is coming to you. But what kind of king is he? He is righteous and having salvation is he, but also he is humble, mounted on a donkey. And so we see that Jesus is coming on this donkey. He is righteous. He is humble. But also we see that he is bringing peace, not war. Right? The symbolism here is that he is the king who is riding on a donkey. You see, the king riding on the war horse is coming to say there's going to be a battle. Right? There's going to be a fight. Right? But he's coming in a way to show us that he is here to bring peace. But here's the thing. Well, how is he going to bring that peace? And who is he going to bring that peace with? And obviously we know as we read all the Bible, what is Jesus talking about, right? Jesus is going to bring peace between God and the people of God, right? Because obviously we know that all of us are sinners and God can't stand sin as God is holy and he is righteous. So there is obviously a, a, there's separation between God and sinners. And yet, why did Jesus come into the world? To bring peace. Jesus came into the world to bring peace between God and his people. And so how is he going to do that? And obviously we know through death. But we know that Jesus, who is righteous but who is also humble, as we see in this passage again, he is going to, in his humility, actually go to the cross. He is going to die the death that his people deserve, that we deserve, so that we could have peace with God. And that's what this whole Passion Week is about, right? What is this Passion Week leading to? It's leading to Good Friday. It is leading to the cross. It is leading to the death of Jesus for the sake of his people so that we, his people, can be forgiven and we could be saved. That's what it's all about. And already, even in this triumphal entry, even as Jesus is riding on the donkey, we're seeing a picture of that. Why is he coming? He is coming to bring peace. He is coming as righteous, as humble, and he is going to do that through his death. And we get a hint of that, you know, if you keep going in this passage, if you look at verse 20, after we have this whole triumphal entry, right, in verse 20, we see some Greeks, and they come to Philip, and they say, Sir, we wish to see Jesus, right? So we have these Gentiles, right? So it's not the Jews anymore. We have these Gentiles who are actually saying, we want to see Jesus. Jesus. So what does Philip do? He tells Andrew, Andrew and Philip, they go to Jesus. And interestingly, in this passage, it never actually tells us if the Greeks met Jesus or not. I mean, I'm assuming they did. But then Jesus takes this occasion to say something. Verse 23, he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Again, he's talking about death, right? Because if you look at the Gospels, 
Whenever somebody, you know, whenever he talks about the hour, he says the hour is coming, or the hour has not yet come, pretty much, right? And the hour is talking about his death. But now he says in verse 23, the hour has come for the Son to be glorified. But how is he going to be glorified? He's going to be glorified first through his death. And obviously his resurrection. And then he says in verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Again, he's talking about his death. What is he saying? He is saying the hour has come for me to die. Why? Because if I don't die, there's going to be no fruit. In order for there to be fruit, in order for there to be salvation for my people, in order for there to be all these great things that's going to happen, I need to die. So who is Jesus, right? What we see in this passage, he is a king. Yes, he is, of course, a king, but he is a humble, he is a righteous king who has come into this world to bring salvation to his people. And how does he do it? He is going to do it by going to the cross on Good Friday. He is going to do it by dying on that cross for the sake of his people. And you know, I think sometimes we forget how important that is. I mean, you know, for myself, I think about it. You know, I was born into the church. My father's a pastor. So I've been going to church since I was in my mother's womb, right? And I was baptized, obviously, as an infant. And I literally, like, grew up in church my whole life. And I remember as a kid, you know, going to, like, multiple services and, you know, going to all types of prayer meetings. And, and so what happens is you hear about Jesus your whole life. And obviously you go to seminary, or well, I went to seminary, and you study more, and then you became a pastor, and I'm always preaching about the gospel. And so what sometimes happens is when I think about the death of Christ, when I think about this Passion Week, when I think about why he came into the world, it's true, and I know it, and I believe it, but sometimes it doesn't have the kind of impact that maybe it used to have. It doesn't have maybe the kind of you know, emotional, right, moving in my heart that maybe it used to have. But the thing about it is, it should. Right? Because if you think about it, what greater story is there? What greater news is there? You know, even when we watch a movie, that's a great movie, we'll watch it and we'll be moved. We'll watch it again and we'll be moved again. You read a book. If it's a good book, you read a book, maybe you read it multiple times, and we get moved by it. Right? You hear a story. If it's a good story, we get moved by it. But what greater story, what greater news, what greater truth is there than the gospel. And what we're seeing here again in this passage is we are being reminded in this triumphal entry, in this little passage right after the triumphal entry, who is Jesus? Jesus is our king. He is our king. He is our humble, righteous king who came into this world to bring peace. And he is going to do it through his death, his death on the cross. And it's not just for the Jews. We see it actually in this passage, as the Greeks go to Jesus, it's not just for the Jews, it is also for the Gentiles. It's really for all of us, for everyone who would trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior, Jesus came to bring peace, came to save his people. So then, well, how do we respond, right? Who Jesus is not, he's not this political hero, he's not whoever we want him to be. He is someone who is Jesus. He is the humble king, who brings salvation to his people. And so how do we respond to him? What is our response? And he says it in verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. He says, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, obviously, he doesn't mean literally hate yourself. Right? He doesn't mean literally you need to die, you know, physically speaking right now. What he's saying if you love this life more than you love God, if this life that you have, if it's all about me, myself, and I, and the life that I'm living now, and if my love for God is somewhere around here and my love for my own life right now is like somewhere up here, he's saying, that's a problem. And when he says you, you need to hate this world, or you have to hate your life in this world, he's saying in comparison to your love for God, in comparison for your desire to worship and follow him, you need to hate your life in this world. So really, what is he saying? He's saying you need to live for God first. Priority, right? Seek first God's kingdom, God's righteousness, right? Because all of us, what do we do? We seek, but we seek our own kingdom, our own righteousness. Right? For a lot of us, yeah, we love God. We say we love God. But then we have all these other things that are competing with God every day. And a lot of times, more often than not, those other things win out. So, yeah, God is in my life. I say I love Jesus. But I love all these other things. And so then my love for Christ kind of gets pushed down, right? And so he's just one of many things that I love. And he's not really a priority. And really, what is he saying? He's saying, no, no, no. I need to come first. That's really what he's saying, right? Your life should not be about all these other things and I kinda, you kind of stuff me at the end. No, he's saying, how do you live? How do you respond to me? How do you respond to the salvation story? How do you respond to grace? How do you respond to the gospel? It's by saying, I worship you and you first. Everything else will fall into place, but I will seek first God and his kingdom first. And we sing about that, right? We sing songs about those kinds of things, and we might even say those kinds of things. But again, when I'm looking at my own life, am I living really for the Lord? Am I really living for just me, myself, and I, and maybe my family and my loved ones? Who am I living for? What am I living for? And Jesus is saying, you have to deny yourself. You have to die to yourself. Just like Christ died on the cross for the sake of his people, what is my calling now is for me to die to myself. It's not about me. It's about you, Lord. You know, there's something that I do sometimes, and my wife doesn't actually know this, I don't think. But sometimes, you know, when I, you know, when I, when I wake up, I feel selfish, right? You know, you're tired, and you know, you know, you got things to do. And so, you know, I'll go to the bathroom, and I look at myself. And you know, I think hopefully you can all admit, the first thing in the morning, you look at yourself in the mirror, you don't look that good. Right, you don't, maybe your hair's a mess, right? You're maybe some eye things going on, right? And I look at myself, and I, I think you've looked better, right? But then the thing I sometimes say to myself is look at the mirror, and I try to remind myself, I go, James, it's, it's not about you. You got to love your wife. You got to love these kids, right? Like, game on, right? And I, and I say that to myself sometimes because I feel like I need that reminder, right? It's not about you. But really, I don't even think that's the right statement to make. I think what we should be doing maybe every morning, we should wake up, look at that mirror maybe, and we should look at ourselves and say, it's not about you, it's about God. Right? It's not about you, it's not about me. 
It's about him. Christ literally humbled himself and was obedient to the point of death upon the cross. See that in Philippians 2. He died for us, for his people. My call then is to die and to say, it's not about me, right? But to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Right? It is no longer about me, it's about Christ. I want to be a living sacrifice holy, pleasing, acceptable to God. And he says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. I'm, I need to follow him and die to deny myself. And I want to serve him and I want to love him. And I want to say, Lord, how can I love you, worship you first with my life? And that's my, my hope, my encouragement for all of us. As you look at who Jesus is, the Savior, the humble King, who came to bring peace between us and God, who did that through his death. My prayer during this Passion Week is to reflect upon all that he has done, his love, his grace, as we reflect upon Good Friday, his death, Easter Sunday, his resurrection, obviously his ascension, as we think about the Holy Spirit right, that is with us, that he has sent, as we think about who he is, and really even the home in heaven he has prepared for us, I pray that we will say, Lord, as you have died for me, as you have lived for me, I want to say for me to live as Christ, to die again. I want to die to myself. I want to live for your glory. And my prayer is that our, as a church, we could say we want to be a church who puts you first and who wants to follow you, who wants to serve you. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you. We praise you, Lord. And we worship you. Father, we look at this passage today in Palm Sunday, and we look at the triumphal entry, and we realize that we have such an amazing Savior, humble, righteous, who loves his people to the point of death upon the cross. And we pray, Lord, as we look at our Savior, as our, at our humble King, that our hearts would again be moved. And we pray, Lord, that we would desire to live lives that truly emulate Christ, that we would die to ourselves and truly live for the glory of God. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.